it's really interesting. My my ten year old, she stood in front of the fridge after school yesterday, in fact, and she went, "What do I feel I would really like to eat?" Mm-hmm. And she made that decision. She said, "I really fancy." And I think she made herself, what did she make herself? I think she made herself a bowl of berries and then some crackers. But she'd stopped and asked herself that. And I thought, oh, I'm actually, I'm so pleased because that's going to set you up so well as an adult. Because then you're eating, tuning into your body as to what would really satisfy me now? What am I going to enjoy? But also your body will be telling you that actually, you know, and the reality is they know there's biscuits in the tin. Yeah. But she didn't want biscuits. She chose the berries because she knows that she can have a biscuit if she wants one. Yeah. That was Rose White, who is a gentle nutrition and lifestyle coach. And that was a little clip from our conversation that you're about to listen to. And I have to say, it was so fascinating for me, this conversation. I learned so much. I took so many notes about things to kind of go and do further reading about and that sort of thing and I will say that one thing I learned a lot about was sugar which is I know a huge topic a big minefield and it was something I was really keen to chat to Rose about um because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about sugar and I in this conversation sort of talk about and realize how I had fallen prey to some of that misinformation um so I hope that you find this conversation as um, insightful interesting informative as I did I hope you enjoy it and yeah listen with an open mind and see what you get out of it and maybe have a notebook to hand in case you want to jot anything down as always you can find me on instagram at being underscore change if you want to chat about the show I'd love to hear how you're enjoying it Welcome to Create Shift, a podcast to support, encourage and inspire you to live your most purposeful and holistic life. I'm your host, Ellen of Being Change. I'm a yoga teacher, writer and purposeful and holistic living advocate based in Manchester, UK. Thank you so much for joining me on this adventure. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to chat to you. Would you like to get started by introducing yourself to everyone so they know a little bit more about who you are? I would. Thanks for having me, Ellen. Um, I am Rose and I am the founder of Live Well Life and that is a weight-inclusive, evidence-based nutrition and lifestyle practice. So what does that mean? Um, weight-inclusive means that I... Um, In my practice, I don't focus on weight loss. Um, I look at health from a holistic point of view. So um, based on what I like to think of as the four pillars of health, so nutrition, sleep, movement, and relaxation. Mm -hmm. And I work within a framework called intuitive eating. Mm, Cool. Um, There's so many things already that I want to do. Um, let's dive into the, the four pillars of health a little bit more. Yes. I, I made a note about that when I was sort of looking on your website and stuff. And I think, um, I just think they're really solid pillars, as you were. They could yeah. hold up a building, which is good. Um, yeah, so do you want to just chat about those a little bit more and why, why they are, um, in your opinion, the four pillars of health? Yeah, most definitely. Well, obviously, um, nutrition, you know, I think... These days, people are very focused on nutrition um, to the point where we've even begun to micromanage our food. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of what we eat now, the decisions we make about what we what we want to eat, we're basing on weight or what we want to look like or food being medicine. Um, and I think we've disconnected from what food actually is. And actually food, yes, it gives us energy. Um, it benefits us from a health point of view, but it does so much more than that. It brings us together um, with our families, socially. Um, it's part of many cultures and rituals. Mm. Um, so I don't just look at nutrition from sort of an individual, you know, here are your imbalances, this is what is required. That's, you know, that's one aspect. But I look into people's relationships with food um, and helping them make peace with food and be able to have a healthy relationship with food outside of all the kind of nutrition noise Mm. that we now have bouncing around, especially thanks to social media and sort of the rise of wellness blogging. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to cut through all of that and actually just getting back to, to basics and helping people get back in touch with foods that make them feel good mm. from an energy point of view and a stamina point of view and help them, you know, deal with their stress and sleep and not just, um, you know, uh, an arbitrary number on the scales. Yeah. And then um, quite often with clients, I talk about the, the triad, triad of energy um, and having our energy levels. Because I think the most common things that people come to me with is wanting to get a better handle on nutrition because literally they've got to the point where they don't know what to eat anymore. Mm. And I hear that. I hear that term so often. I don't know what to eat anymore because mm. I'm told this is good. This is bad. This is, you know, I need to cut this out. I mustn't yeah. have this conflicting information everywhere very very conflicting to the point where more often than not people are restricting to down to you know a handful of foods and the motivator for doing that originally was health which is very you know it's ironic isn't it Yeah, yeah but um the other thing people come to me with is energy levels and wanting to improve their energy levels and the energy levels are fed very much by the quality and quantity of our sleep Mm -hmm. um movement because obviously movement helps um, do lots of things it helps our metabolism it helps if we're outside with our circadian rhythms mm-hmm. um, it helps us um, as we get older from uh, for maintaining lean muscle mass all sorts of all sorts of benefits but it also helps with our energy levels and relaxation or stress management and if any one of those three are a little bit out of sync or off kilter, then people's energy levels are immediately impacted. So it's sort of bringing people back out. I think we've, lots of people have narrowed their view of how to be healthy right down into, you know, I need to be having antioxidants and I need to be having my omegas and I need to be having, um, you know, turmeric and I need to be, but actually health is, is, is much bigger than that. So it's helping them come back out and look at themselves um, holistically from, a, mm. from almost a helicopter point yeah. of view yeah and I love that you're talking about that whole holistic view of health because that's that's where I come from as well with the work I do and it kind of really drawing on Ayurvedic theory that the sister science of yoga which is that total holistic view of health and that everything is connected um, and you're right we've kind of compartmentalized stuff like thinking right I can work on my diet and my nutrition and that's separate from the exercise that I'm doing or how I'm living my life day-to-day kind of my routines and stuff and it's not it's all totally connected so um yeah I really love that you've got those those four pillars and it just makes complete sense um, yeah I love that you said about 
how we've disconnected from what food actually is as well. And I, I was thinking about this just before we started chatting about this. Like, as I see it, in the lives that a lot of us live today, we've become quite disconnected from a lot of things, kind of from our bodies, um, from sort of our own intuition around what feels good to do movement-wise, or even as simple as, oh, I feel really tired, I'm going to go to bed. We've kind of disconnected from that, but just because often we'll be like, I feel really tired, I'm going to watch TV, I'm going to scroll on my phone, yeah, and that's going to disrupt the circadians and all of that. So I just feel like there's a huge disconnection, or even if you think about in society, sort of disconnection from other people or from um, communities and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, that, yeah, sorry. Right. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I just think that what you're, what you're saying, what you talk about, sort of is part of the jigsaw puzzle of that. And health, you know, when we measure health as a society, we've become very weight focused Mm. as a measure of health. But actually, it is so much more than that is about relationships. It's a feeling of belonging in community, all of those things. There's a very famous study called the Blue Zone Study. I don't know if you've ever come across it, Ellen. No. Um, It's if any of the listeners, if you Google the Blue Zone Study, And they looked at the areas of the world where they have um, the greatest number of centurions, so people that have lived to 100. Oh, yes. And they have the, you know, they tend to keep moving till they're much older. They have great social relationships. They tend to support each other as a community. Mm. And all of those things obviously drive us to be, be healthier outside of just, you know, thinking about, as you say, compartmentalizing everything. Yeah. And I love actually, now that you mention it, I, I have heard of that study and I've read sort of, you get various articles pop up every now and again, don't mm. you, about kind of, oh, the Mediterranean diet, because there's so many people on this small island in Italy that are so yes, yes. And then you get stuff about, oh, the Japanese diet. Well, if you look at those diets, and both places where you've got high numbers of centurions, the diets are wildly different. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> but they have, you know, they have... Um, commonalities Mm. in that they tend to be um quite highly plant-based and they have quite high in omega-3s and they but again food they're not just eating to sustain themselves Mm. food is part of their culture and their communities and their families and their rituals and yeah i think you say that's what we've become very disconnected from yeah Yeah, like what, what would you say food has become for us now as opposed to kind of what it has been sort of throughout human history and when you're talking about all these traditions and rituals and things? Cool, that's a big question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) What has it become now? I think it's become a stick with which we beat ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think we have been quick to um, put foods into categories, clean, dirty, junk, Mm -hmm. good, bad, um... But food is food. You know, even, you know, a donut, yes, it provides energy. Mm. It will still give you something of, you know, a nutritional value. It's going to give you energy. But because we've um, created this very negative language around food, and that's a lot to do with diet culture Mm. and a lot to do with an industry that's profiting on the back of our vulnerabilities around our bodies and wanting to look a certain way because that's what society tells us we should look. Um, and tells us that's what health is. Um, I think, you know, it has become something that people um, are either fearful of, you know, they begin to fear foods, mm-hmm. um, or it's something they use to manage other areas of their lives, if yeah, that makes yeah, sense, something yeah, you can yeah. control. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
whereas actually, you know, and that's quite well illustrated by the fact that we no longer talk about um, foods. We don't label them as they are. You know, we talk about carbs instead of grains. Mm. You know, rice is a grain. You know, fruits are carb. But we, we, you know, we started talking about bread and pasta and all of these things as carbs. Um, And we talk about um, fats or fiber. But actually, we should just go back to talking, naming foods for what they are. That's fruit and vegetables. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? We've started to um, create um, or unpick so much of the science behind food, which is really valuable. Obviously, it's really valuable. But I think sometimes we can become over-informed and by nature of being out in the big wide world of the internet, that level of um, over-information becomes really overwhelming. And, you know, you, you, you don't feel like you can make the right decision for making the wrong decision. Yeah, and it's like what I hear that you're saying there is a lot about we, we need to simplify it more. Yeah. Um, and kind of just go back to that trusting ourselves a bit. Yeah, and kind of absolutely. Our, our bodies, bodies do you know. No. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is why I work with the um, intuitive eating framework. Um, I don't know, would it be useful for me to explain that in a bit more detail? So um, intuitive eating is actually um, a framework that was created by two registered dietitians. They're called Evelyn Triboli and Eliza Reich. And it's very much about learning to trust your body again. And it works on 10 principles, but Um, the basis of it is really to sort of reject diet mentality, reject, you know, approaching everything from this case of, I want to hit this figure on the scales and actually begin to tune back into your body's um, physiological and biological cues. So around your hunger and fullness, for example, Um, as children and as toddlers, we're very in tune with that. And children are naturally intuitive eaters. If you are to put in front of a toddler a selection of foods on a plate, um, and they will probably pick a relatively balanced meal without you interfering. Um, and then they will eat until they're full, and then they will stop. Mm. But I think because of um, diet culture and uh, stressful lives and incredibly busy lives that we lead now, we've lost touch with those kind of um, intuitive responses and internal cues in our bodies that can help guide our eating. Um, And learning to respect your body from, you know, other points of view, like sleep and finding movement that you enjoy rather than moving to earn your food, you know. Um, And your body will naturally, once you begin to stop categorizing foods into good and bad clean and dirty and you give yourself unconditional permission to eat all foods because we don't um crave what we're not um deprived of Mm. um you will find your body will um intuitively be drawn towards nutritionally balanced and healthy food with room for the stuff that's good for your soul like cake (laughs) and it's about balance you know it's going back to variety and balance and and moderation Mm. but yeah it's about but tuning into your body from you know I need to am I eating from an emotional point of view um what is it that I actually need right now um 
Is it that I need to pick the phone up to somebody? Is it that I need to relax? Is it that actually I'm sleep deprived? It's mm. looking at yourself from, you know, all angles. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of countercultural in some ways because it's we like you said we're so fast paced and, and our, our lives are really kind of hectic a lot of the time and and what you're saying there is kind of taking time to slow down sometimes and tune in you know before you grab the whatever it is you're going to grab to eat slowing down and kind of tuning in and going inwards a little bit and asking why is it that I'm taking this and actually is it that I need to and meditate or journal or go for a walk or deal with this Absolutely. this problem that I'm actually eating yeah. to, to prevent myself dealing with yeah. we're not encouraged to do that at all in our in our society I don't think um certainly not on the whole um so it is hard to do and eating as a treat or uh kind of there's all these connotations aren't there sort of eating as a reward or um mm-hmm. Uh, and stuff like that it's, it's kind of encouraged so I feel like a little bit that that behavior to to eat rather than deal with what's actually going on is, is perhaps encouraged a little bit in our society yeah maybe I think I mean inher- eating for emotions isn't inherently bad it's not inherently a bad thing you know you wouldn't say to a bride and groom at a wedding you can't have any wedding cake because you're full (laughs) or you know you're celebrating with a friend and you want to go out for pizza you know yeah yeah. it's normal to eat for emotions I think the problem is is when we turn to food as our only mechanism Mm. for dealing with emotions um but I think you're right we don't make room to be with our feelings very often yeah um and to ask ourselves you know to sit what am I feeling in this moment in time and just letting that sit with you for a little bit. We don't, we don't do that. Mm. Um, mm. And I think that a lot of that's around self-permission. Yeah. I, I think it's really difficult to give yourself in this fast-paced life where I think you said it on your own website, Ellen, um, that exhaustion is like a badge of honour. Yeah. yeah. Productivity is like this badge of honour, but actually that's, you know, counterproductive to actually being a healthy person in every sense of the word. Mm. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I think it's a lot to do with that. And then in that in that sort of society in that in that culture where yeah, exhaustion's a badge of honor and all of that, and it's you're busy all the time. Food is something that you grab on the go. You know, think about mm. how many. Um, I was I was actually talking to to my partner the other day about the the rise in the kind of um, you know the, the the local supermarkets. You know, your small small supermarkets that are now everywhere in cities yeah. not that long ago they weren't around um you know I remember when they started popping up in my hometown and, and my mum and I were like oh what's this this is bizarre um and um I was just thinking about that in terms of the rise of people sort of wanting to grab a, a dinner on the go so they can eat mm. it whilst they're at work or whilst they're commuting from work mm. to the gym or whatever and um and then we don't really we don't really think about or feel our relationship with our food in that sense and I, I think a lot about mindful eating and really trying to Absolutely. just sit and eat and enjoy what you're eating. And that's something I'm really trying to do myself. And mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. And it makes a huge difference mm-hmm. to how full I feel as well. Absolutely. And it, I mean, it is, it, it's, it'd be very difficult to eat mindfully all the time. Yes. But I think when you have the opportunity to, if you can practice it, you, it's the ideal time to attuned back in to your fullness cues and because and 
how satisfied you are with your food mm. because quite often we eat without tasting yeah because we eat so quickly yeah um and then we're at risk of overeating because we're rushing to get through the meal yeah. you, can where, eat, you can eat a whole meal and then not even remember yeah. eating it especially if you're eating in an emotional state mm. you know that can be quite a trigger yeah um and you know or quite often I see people who are leading such busy busy lives that they're not sort of honoring their hunger throughout the day um so they're on the go they're grabbing a couple of biscuits they're grabbing a piece of toast at lunchtime and then by the time they get home they're so exhausted and their blood sugar is so low that they then we call it backlash eating they then backlash eat and end up raiding every cupboard and face planting the biscuit barrel yeah yeah no fault of their own because their blood sugar is so low their body is just Mm. yelling them to get their blood sugar back up to a safe level but then with that then comes lots of self um uh, loathing or feelings around i can't be trusted around food or guilt and shame because they feel like they've had a binge you know and actually what's happened is a product of this really busy life Mm. that we're told we should lead um, so yeah, when we have the opportunity to tune in to our food, it can be a really powerful tool. Um, and there's a, there's a, there's a really quick way you can do it. Um, when you are pressed for time, if you can't, you know, have a very peaceful, mm. um, mindful meal in a, in a nice environment. So if you're sat at your desk at work, for example, and you really can't get away, um, it's, um, perhaps asking yourself, you know, registering, checking in with yourself on the first bite of, say, your sandwich, you know, how much am I enjoying this? And then halfway through doing the same and then towards the end. And you can just sort of register, did I enjoy that all the way through or was I eating that because actually, you know, it was to fuel me and sometimes we mm-hmm. do have to fuel ourselves or could I have chosen something that actually I felt I would have been more satisfied by but, um, yeah, it's a really powerful tool. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. Thanks for sharing that. And it's really helpful. Really. Um, so I like what you've been saying about kind of trusting, learning to trust our bodies mm-hmm. more and kind of, you know, tuning back into intuition is, is yeah, learning to trust ourselves again and kind of honouring our bodies in that way, which is yes. a really hard thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... I've just been thinking about that in relation to to diet culture and how dieting is kind of a way of outsourcing that control over what we eat um, rather than giving the control back to ourselves. Yeah. In a way. Um, And I don't I don't know if those two things are related, but what do you think? Well, no, I think I think you're right. I think it's really easy. We're told there's this simple solution to how you feel about yourself and it comes in this seven day juice cleanse um which you know we go into the science that they won't work long term for lots of reasons you know you lose water you'll put on more weight when you begin to eat normally because Mm -hmm. of something our set point and how it affects our metabolism um but yeah i think we are told and maybe this is another badge of honor along with productivity and exhaustion is feeling hunger is a good thing um, and people waiting till they're ravenous to eat because it, then they feel like they 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 they're owed their food. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, um, hunger is a very normal state, and you should respond to it. It's your body asking asking for energy. But um, yeah, outsourcing it. Yeah, I think it's. I think you're right. I think we are looking in the same way we look for 
convenience. We're looking for a quick fix because we don't want to be in this, we don't want to feel this way. And we're promised the moon on a stick, um, you know, for $99 and download my app and, you know, I'll solve all your problems. Um, and again, a lot of that then goes back to the fact that we're told that all your problems stem from the way that you look yeah. or the, the, the weight that you are. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and a lot of the time I hear from clients, they feel if they hit this number on the scale, then everything else will fall into place. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's very much about diet culture and, and, you know, us being told that, that, you know, having bodies of all sizes and all shapes, um, isn't good enough, um, which actually just goes completely against human evolution and biology. So, um, you know, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. Let's talk about the kind of weight and, Mm. you know, obesity is a word that's that's often Mm -hmm. used and and all of that. Um, um, and and why you're that's not something that you're interested in or choosing to to work with and why that's not helpful um well i think a lot of people come to me and one of the first things they say to me is i'd like to lose weight yeah and i will say to them okay um with my approach we put weight loss um and the sort of food side on the back burner initially um one, because weight isn't a measure of health. Mm. You know, thin the thin ideal is not a measure of being a healthy person. And quite often um, people come with an unrealistic view of what weight they should be. And they haven't taken into account, you know, the fact that genetically quite often we're born into bodies that aren't meant to be that weight. Mm-hmm. The fact that um, dieting itself doesn't work there has been study after study after study that has shown that when we restrict food intake our body fights back um it doesn't know that you're restricting willfully (laughs) it assumes that there is a shortage Mm -hmm. of food and um it would do things to help protect itself so it will do things such as um produce a hormone called ghrelin which is your hunger or appetite stimulating hormone Mm -hmm. Um, and of course that's going to make you more hungry. It switches on taste receptors in the brain that make you want to, you know, food that you wouldn't normally find attractive suddenly becomes very attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, it produces a, um, chemical called neuropeptide Y, which, um, makes you crave carbohydrates because it wants to bring your blood sugar back up to a nice safe level. Mm. Um, and when you do start eating again, it, um, well, the other thing it does, it slows your, your metabolism down so that it can get more energy out of, uh, less food. Um, but what it does is when you begin to eat normally again, we have something called our, um, set point weight. So that's the weight you are. That's your naturally healthy weight that when you eat normally and you exercise normally, you tend to just stay at historically. But when we get caught in a cycle of restricting and dieting because we, you know, we assume we want to be smaller than our natural set point. And that set point is where your body likes to be to maintain homeostasis. Mm -hmm. So homeostasis is the um, term for balance in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's keeping everything running really smoothly. And your body has lots and lots of very evolved and clever feedback loops and all sorts going on. 
to make sure it keeps this constant level of homeostasis. So when we restrict um, frequently and we diet and because we're restricting and we get really hungry and then we have cravings and we binge and then our diet's broken and mm. we, what we call weight cycle. So we go or yo-yo weight, you know, yo-yo dieting. Yeah. Um, you, what your body does is it pushes your set point weight up. So you'll find you gain more weight than you were at your starting point. And every time you go on one of these sort of crash restriction diets, that set point can be moved up and up and up. Right. Um, And so it's associated. So dieting itself is associated with weight gain over time. Mm. Um, But more importantly, you know, there's been research over the last quarter of a century that's shown that weight cycling is linked to um, adverse physical health, but also our psychological well-being and having lower levels of body satisfaction um and i think that um is very evident in Mm. the growing number of young people um who are perfectly healthy but don't feel like they are enough Mm. and i also blame i do find i think social media has a big part to play in that we know fitspo accounts and um (laughs) shiny glowy white toothed well people (laughs) drinking just green juice green juices all the time which they're not no because they couldn't sustain themselves on just green juices yeah yeah Yeah. but um yes i think it's not so from that point of view so practically that's not going to do you any good so there is no point me sticking you on some unrealistic or very restrictive diets that may give you a short-term weight loss, but you're just going to bounce back up. Mm. Um, It's much more about learning how to eat for overall health and in a way that you can sustain for a lifetime. Yeah. Um, And that you can can extend out to your family, you know, Um, Mm. and that you can show your children. I'm really passionate about showing children what it is to have a healthy relationship with food. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And actually, there was something that you talked about on your Instagram stories a while back, but um, stuck with me. And I think I responded because you were talking about um, how we learn about food being a reward. And I do remember if that was present in our childhood. And I was like, hmm, I think I do remember sort of food being associated with a reward and kind of if you do this thing, you can have this treat as a food. Um, and how we learn that from a really young age. And I just mm. thought that was really interesting. And now, I think ever since I um, saw you talking about that, I notice it in myself, in my own head. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I've got this bit of work to do. So I'm going to go to the shop and I'm going to buy myself this, this, I don't know, pastry that I really want or something. But mm-hmm. I'm going to save it until I've done this bit of work I don't really want to do. And therefore, it's my reward. It's my treat. And I notice it quite often, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's really interesting how our relationships with food are shaped through the language and and the nonverbal um, cues we get from our, our parents mm. as children. Um, you know, quite often um, I will speak with clients whose parents would tell them they had to clean their plates. Yep. So they were eat, overeating constantly as a child past comfortable fullness because they were told that you must eat everything or yep. you must eat all your vegetables before you're allowed pudding. Yeah. Or I had guilt guilt associated with food because if you don't finish because you're full, there's starving children in Africa. Starving children in Africa, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 
my mum said the same. But um, it's, um, you know, so I think it's about building an awareness about the language we use with our children. And um, I'm reading an amazing book at the moment called Child of Mine, I think it is. I'm happy to give you the um, the details. I don't know yeah, if you put yeah. show notes up. Yes, but, yeah, um, yeah, I will. I'll put links to uh, it. It's an amazing book, and it's written by um, a pediatric dietitian, but she went on to work in mental health and disordered eating as well. Um, and she talks about the division of responsibility and she talks about the fact that as parents, we have a responsibility to, um, provide a, provide nutritious food or nutritious options of food, provide the, the, she says the what, the where and the when. So, you know, a good eating environment at the kitchen table Mm -hmm. and, you know, some structured meal times and, produce choices that are you know going to benefit your child nutritionally but it's a child's choice as to how much they eat mm. and whether they eat mm. um and if you trust your child and um listen to their cues even from the really earliest stage because again you know you can see intuitive eating in babies the breastfed baby will turn or mm-hmm. a bottle fed baby will turn their head away from the breast or the bottle when they're full in the same way a baby being fed from a spoon will come my mouth shut yeah, and turn yeah. their head away or push their bowl off the high chair because they're full but because sometimes of our own insecurities maybe we're worried about our child's growth or we're worried that they need to be getting all their antioxidants because that's what we're told so they must finish all this spinach puree and you know parents are you know making a child eat beyond when they're hungry or um bribing children around food and all of those things that we do from a good place you know they're being motivated from a place of caring but actually when you step outside of that that can interfere with the child's ongoing relationship mm-hmm. with with food so yes it's definitely something to become and it wasn't until I started um working with the intuitive eating principles that I really even begin, began to understood my own how I um would perhaps I you know I was guilty of saying to my children well if you just eat you know so a little bit more of that broccoli then you can have yeah, yeah. But actually, interestingly, yeah. now I've um, sort of stepped away from that a little bit and allowed them to say out of all these vegetables, which ones they're going to enjoy or have a no thank you portion for something new that they want to try. If I, you know, if, they want, if I would like them to try something, I'll say they can have a no thank you portion so they can try it and say no thank you. Right. right. Um, but I think I said on stories the other day, sometimes my children will come home and ask for a biscuit and other yeah. times they will make themselves a huge platter of raw veggies and hummus. And, you know, it all balances out. Over a week, my children eat a really quite balanced diet. And it comes back to that trust again, doesn't it? Like you you trusting them, which is teaching them to trust themselves and their own body. To trust themselves, exactly. And it's really interesting. My my 10-year-old, she stood in front of the fridge after school yesterday, in fact, and she went, what do I feel I would really like to eat? Hmm. And she made that decision. She said, I really fancy... And I think she made herself, what did she make herself? I think she made herself a bowl of berries and then some crackers. But she'd stopped and asked herself that. And I thought, oh, I'm actually, I'm so pleased because that's going to set you up so well as an adult. Because then you're eating, tuning into your body as to what would really satisfy me now? What am I going to enjoy? But also your body will be telling you that actually 
you know, and the reality is they know there's biscuits in the tin. Yeah. But she didn't want biscuits. She chose the berries because she knows that she can have a biscuit if she wants one. Yeah. And that's the thing, I guess, isn't it? That if you don't restrict it, if you don't say, oh, the biscuits are bad, we can only have this many per week or whatever. Yeah. And you don't assume that all your child is going to want to eat ever is biscuits left to their own devices. Yeah then it's probably all going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the same way with us, you know, quite often I, I get, I get questions around, I'm never, I will never, you know, I can't do that. If I, so say a client, for example, has a food that they put on their food, um, no go list. Okay. Mm. So one well, an exercise I'll do with clients is say, what food rules do you have? Or what foods do you say you can't ever have? Right. Um, and as an example, I had, a client who said to me recently, um, I mustn't eat biscuits, um, not biscuits, crisps. I can't be trusted around crisps. Mm, now, trusted. In- yeah. And interestingly, when we then began to break that down, she was quite often, probably several times a week, going to the shops in the evening and buying big family-sized packs of crisps and eating the- all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'd be better off having a few handful of crisps every day. Yeah. But um, it's about that I can't be trusted um, mm. around that food. Oh, I can't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> I can't remember where I was going with that. Uh, what was the question? Um, what? yes, about, yeah, about, um, having access to it all yeah. the time. Yeah. So we talk about something called habituation and that's when you sort of, um, part of the process of giving yourself unconditional permission to eat everything. So taking the power out of food, being um good or bad or you know something you can't ever have um because it just means we end up craving it or it becomes something we become so fixated on um we talk about an exercise called habituation that's when you just surround yourself with that food i mean it's just quite it, it doesn't work for every client um but if the client is open to it it's quite a powerful tool because um the reality is if I said to you, you, you said to me, my food that I can't be trusted around is a hot fudge sundae. Mm. And I said to you, okay, for the next three days, Ellen, I want you to eat nothing but hot fudge sundae. Breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner. The end of those three days, you'd come back to me and go, oh, yeah. I feel sick. I don't ever want to see one again. So this fear that people have that once they start, they'll never stop. Yeah. Actually, when you have unconditional permission to eat everything, that doesn't happen. Mm. quite the opposite in fact you'll get to the point where you can have a few mouthfuls or you know you might have a slice of cake and eat half of it and go actually do you know what I've had enough of that I'll have I'll have the other half tomorrow yeah that's like um a while ago I went I went to stay with someone it was a long time ago I went to stay with someone um and it was in her house and she had this chocolate cupboard well she had a chocolate shelf and it had really nice chocolate in it like it was all really kind of the, the pricey chocolate most of it was dark and like just I particularly remember this dark Earl Grey chocolate, which I thought was amazing. And, and she was like, yeah, I just have the chocolate treat cupboard because you never know when you're going to want a bit of chocolate. And then since then, I've always tried to have some really nice chocolate in because then when I want chocolate, I'll have a bit. But when it's a really nice chocolate, I enjoy it. I have a piece and then that's it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that's great. And I'm satisfied. But if I didn't have the chocolate in and I wanted chocolate, I might go out and buy just a chocolate bar and, and you know, eat the whole thing. I'd be having more chocolate. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be enjoying it as much. And Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes we want to eat the whole bar and sometimes we don't. Yeah. But it's knowing that it's going to be there tomorrow and yeah. you're allowed to have it tomorrow, that actually that's, that's really, it is really powerful because it? it's a pattern I see again and again. I see 
really strict restriction. Mm. And then these episodes of binging or overeating on, on the foods that they've not been allowing themselves because it's, um, that's nature, you know, that's, that's, you know, to want what we can't have. But, um, yeah, once you, um, become food, food becomes neutral. It's Mm. just food. Um, then an apple is as um, appealing as the Mars bar, depending on when you tune into yourself, you know, actually, Mm. I really want that fresh country apple. How do you work with people around? I'm just thinking back to what you said earlier. I was just thinking about the the kind of the the, the nutrition and the nourishment from food being mm-hmm. more than just the what the food is giving you, but also being the setting, the kind of traditions, the family mm-hmm. food table ritual and stuff that that and everything else, the sort of surroundings. Um, how do you work with people with that kind of thing? Um, it's very individual. Um, my approach is, you know, it very much depends on client by client, mm. but I do tend to, I have, um, a couple of guided meditations I take people through, um, around, um, mindful eating mm. ones with a chocolate. Um, uh, the other is, um, around tuning into your hunger, hunger and fullness cues. But, um, what I try and do is understand from a client's point of view, what their daily life looks like. Mm. Um, because there's no point me coming to someone who's really time poor Mm. and saying, well, I'd like you to spend four hours cooking this delicious casserole (laughs) for your family. Um, You know, we have to be realistic. If if we're going to make sustainable changes, so changes that are really going to last, because we're taught all the time it's all or nothing, all or nothing. Um, But actually, no one can sustain all or nothing. So they have to be really small steps. Yeah. So I work with a client to identify what their goals are. What is it you want life to look like? What's that going to look like? You know, having more energy levels, what's that going to look like? Does that mean that you're going to be able to get outside on bike rides with your your daughter more often? Or actually, you'd really like to join that dance class again? Mm -hmm. Because once we tune into those things, there are true intrinsic motives. Yes, I love that. Yeah. Then I, I spend quite a lot of time trying to get a very good picture of their overall health. Um, So I look at their nutrition. I look at their sleep habits. We look at how often they're moving. We um, look at what they're doing to manage their stress at the moment. Um, We look at all of those things. And then we work together. So I would come up with some what I see as some clear action steps, identifiable action steps that we could, um, or areas of focus, I should say, that I then think we could build steps around and whether or not that be having more structured meal times, for example. Mm. But I always ask the client first, because when I give them some feedback, having looked at them sort of from every point of view, quite often, suddenly they can start joining the dots for themselves. Yeah. And if they've joined the dots, then they are far more motivated to make that change for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, it could be that um, we start with one or two nights a week. I'm going to cook a meal and or I'm going to go through my cookbooks. I'm going to choose one meal that I really want to cook and we're going to sit mm-hmm. as a family and have it. And yeah. we're going to start that simple. Yeah. Um, and then we build step by step by step because mm-hmm. You know, if I said to somebody, well, you know, you need to be eating as a family and I want you to have a really peaceful eating environment, um, that's not always doable. So we need to start and find where the where can we make those first small changes. Mm-hmm. And then when they're successful at those and when they feel the benefit of those um, and actually they enjoy 
find joy in cooking again because that's the other thing more often than not I find clients say to me I'll ask the question do you enjoy cooking and they'll say no yeah because it's become so difficult yeah because they don't know what to cook anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't know how to eat anymore yeah. and so it's just become something else um to on their to-do list mm-hmm. yeah rather than yeah, uh, rather than, and it gets thrown in with kind of the housework yeah. kind of, oh, yeah. you've got tonight, I cooked last night. Yeah. And actually, if we can change some of that thinking into actually, this is a huge act of self care. Yeah. This yeah. is one of the kindest things you can do mm. for you is to cook something you're going to sit and really enjoy eating. Yeah. Um, changing the mindset really around mm. it as, as to something that's really positive and how that's going to help them reach their goals and just constantly tying it back to that vision for the life that they see for themselves yeah yeah I think that's so important yeah with with anything with any goal and I do that with people when they come for yoga sessions and stuff and they've got the goal I want to be more flexible Mm -hmm. in my legs or something right well why what's that going to mean for your life because yeah having the flexibility that's neither here nor there really it's, it's the life that you envision isn't it and it's just what absolutely it's give you and how that's going to feel and absolutely and all of that mm. um so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about sugar <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a minefield isn't it um because you shared something uh, a few weeks ago I think on Instagram um and it was just a picture of loads of different things I think you were sharing it from somebody else you were resharing yes. it I think um and it was like there was honey and maple syrup and kind of all these things that we sort of yeah. you might use if you were considering um using quotations healthier baking for example you might use as a sugar substitute for um <laughs> refined sugar and you, the thing just said, you know, these are sugar too. This is sugar too. Yes. And sugar. Was, yeah, go yeah. on. Go on. Sugar, sugar is sugar. Yes. And white table sugar, the caster sugar that you use for baking, is also natural. It comes from sugar beet. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole kind of like refined and unrefined sugar, in terms of how your body metabolizes sugar, it doesn't care where it's come from. It is the same and it will break it down into the simple sugars of, it will break it down to glucose. So um, sugars are either uh, monosaccharides, that's a single molecule of sugar, or a disaccharide such as um, sucrose or fructose. Um, So, but they are all sugars. Now, the only time this is different is sugar you find in fruit Uh because that comes with added benefits in terms of like the fiber um and other um elements so you know there's a bit of protein and banana um but it means that the um the way your body breaks that sugar down is different so it's that sugar and fruit isn't going to spike your blood sugar in the same way as eating a tablespoon of caster sugar would but sugar is sugar so honey maple syrup um coconut sugar any of the so agave Mm. sugar they are all free sugars um, and your body will metabolize it in exactly the same way. So some people will say, but there's some mineral content in these unrefined sugars that's a benefit. The reality is you would have to eat so much sugar <laughs> to benefit <laughs> from the minimum amount of, so I think there's some, there might be some calcium in, I can't remember now off the top of my head, but you know, you have to eat so much of that single sugar to benefit from that mineral content that it would outdo any, any good. So you're better off just eating, you know, spinach, for example, if you want your calcium. Um, 
so yeah, sugar is sugar. So you don't need to be afraid of putting caster sugar in your cake. You know, if you're squirting in, the only only thing I would say is potentially something like agar syrup or honey could be sweeter and therefore you might use less. Right, right. Potentially. But in terms of your body and how it metabolizes it, it is absolutely no different. Mm. And the reality is that um, it's a very good marketing campaign. Yeah. Like Which I blog. have been a sucker for, let me tell you, until I saw that post <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Which is ridiculous because yeah. if you do stop to think about it and actually consider it, yeah. you could clearly tell. So yeah. it's the, the um, uh, guidelines are no more than 30 grams of free sugar. Okay. So it 30 is. grams of sugar per day. Yeah, free, you know, no more. So added sugars shouldn't make up more than 5% of your energy or your calorie intake. Not that I want any of you to check your calories. (laughs) Um, But um, yes, no more than um, 30 grams. So wait, I mean, if you wanted a really quick way of looking at it, um, anything with, if you look on the back of a packet, and it says carbohydrates of which sugars, mm. five grams of every total sugars or less per hundred grams is low sugar. But um, the the reality is that um, everything is honey, maple syrup, as I said, coconut sugar, mm. molasses, all of those things are still just free sugars. And a glass of juice, mm. um, yeah, that is a free sugar as well. So probably a glass a day would be enough, more right. than enough. But eating fruit, fruit, fruit that's a completely different thing. completely different, like you yeah. said. Yeah, because fruit is metabolised yeah. differently yeah. Yeah. because yeah. it's got fibre and other things with it that mean that it slows how that sugar is yeah. released yeah. into yeah. your bloodstream. So, so do we eat too much sugar in general? Do we eat too much sugar? I think <sighs> this is a difficult one because I think... I wouldn't want to say sugar is a bad food because mm. it's not. It's again, sugar is sugar. It's like anything. The dose makes the poison. So mm. if we have too much of anything, you know, it's not going to be good enough. We could all eat too many avocados. Yeah. yeah. Eat anything to, 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 to excess. Um, so I don't think sugar itself is a bad thing. And I think it gets a really bad rap. Yeah, it does. Um, I think it's more a case of the fact that in the context of um, how we eat and balancing our blood sugar, that's the biggest problem. So, of course, you know, when we eat a really sugary food, it spikes our blood sugar really high mm-hmm. and then it will come crashing down really low. And that has lots and lots of um, impacts in the body, not least how you feel. So your energy levels. But um, I think if we can learn to eat, if you honour your hunger and we learn to eat foods that, and we tune into foods that make us feel good, we will quickly learn that actually, um, if I only eat biscuits for lunch, I feel pretty crabby by the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So that naturally, you know, once you tune into that and you realise you feel better, if you have a nice sandwich and a yogurt and a piece of fruit um then you you know you'll naturally learn that actually you don't necessarily want to have that same experience with that food again so I do talk to clients a lot about balancing and supporting their blood sugar balance Mm -hmm. because 
um, if we can support our blood sugar balance by eating consistently throughout the day yeah. and choosing, um, combining foods in a way that help keep our blood um, sugar balance um, nice and steady. So we talk about how to put snacks together. So, for example, having um, something that has protein in it, something that has fats in it, and something that has fiber in it. If you combine those three things, um, then it's going to keep you fuller for longer, but it's also going to um, keep the release of the sugar into your bloodstream. Um, it will slow that down, so you're not going to get that huge spike. So, you know, if you if people are eating something sugary, so if you're having, well, people say it's like chocolate, for example, People say that I can't eat that because that's really going to spike my blood sugar. Well, actually, chocolate has fat in it and it has a bit of protein in it. So it's not actually going to spike your blood sugar as badly as you think it will. <laughs> it's because we've given it such a sugar, such a bad rap. Um, but I think when you start eating intuitively, then you naturally, everything begins to balance itself out. But no, I wouldn't label sugar as a a bad thing. I think we eat, I think we eat for convenience. I think we eat for emotional response. I think all of those things mean that if we, if we don't eat and we don't honor our hunger, our blood sugar drops low and then we end up eating too much sugar. Um, and as you say, I think we've lost touch with, um, what food is. Mm. Um, and I think all of those things have, have an impact, but I don't think it's helpful to, label foods as good or bad because yeah. the minute we do people become fearful of them or they fall into this very self-punishing behavior mm. um you know i shouldn't have eaten that because it's got sugar in it and that makes me really sad yeah yeah because you know we are not products of what we eat at one snack or one meal or even several days or even a week's holiday it is what we do consistently over time that makes the greatest difference to our health Boom. <laughs> that's a that's a good a good point to end on i think <laughs> um although I, I could talk to you all day about this stuff oh, thanks, I'm making loads of notes about sugar <laughs> <laughs> Really, I can send you some stuff. <laughs> yeah, please do, please do. Um, but yeah, I think let's let's wrap it up there. I'm going to end by asking you the the final question oh, I, yes. I ask every yes. guest who comes on the show, um, and so it's a two part question. So the mm -hmm. first part is, in your ideal vision of the future, what changes would you like to see people having made towards a more purposeful and holistic life? And then the second part of that is what small changes could people start to make now if they did want to move in that direction? Oh goodness. Okay. <laughs> so I would love to see us, um, measure health more holistically. So, you know, as we discussed, looking at sleep and stress and movement and our relationships and our place and community, all of those things other than just weight and tied up in that is that I would love to see people um, ditching and rejecting diet culture. And the reason being is once they can do that, then there is room in their lives and room in their heads and room in their hearts to actually go and follow things that they really care about. Because if they're not obsessing about what they're eating and how much they should be eating and um, 
beating themselves up physically and they're actually leading a happier and healthier life, then my goodness, they can go and hit some goals that really mean something for them and are actually purposeful mm. um, and that aren't just concentrating on being a certain shape or a certain body size or a certain weight. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love that to change. Mm. Um, in terms of the steps that I think people can take, um, social detox is one of the first. Unfollow the accounts that make you feel bad about yourself. Unfollow the accounts that, you know, are if it might be Fitzbo, it might be whatever it might be, it might be. But that that account that makes you feel less or that you're not enough every day when you look in the mirror. Um, I would love everybody to throw their scales away. Yeah. <laughs> wait, um, wait. I, I haven't owned scales for um, a very long time. Um, yeah. Do you know what? I've got some and I move house with them all the time and they just gather dust. We don't yeah. use them. I don't know. I'll do it. I'll, shop. I will. I'm going to do yeah. it. You know, and not least because weight is, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, it can fluctuate with mm. a movement. You know, it's not um, how much water yeah. you drunk the time of the month. Yeah. Just, you know, just free yourself from being a slave to the, to the scales. Um, and I would love people to talk about their bodies for what they can do. Mm. rather than what they look like um, and change their language. I'd love to hear people talking more neutrally, even if not positively yet, about themselves. And I think that in part is tied in with finding movement that you find joyful. Mm -hmm. um, and I was thinking about yoga practice and, and what you do, Ellen. And for mm -hmm. example, you know, approaching things like um, when I do yoga, I get really inspired by the fact that I can feel my body holding a pose and being incredibly strong yeah. in that pose yeah. and focusing in on those feelings that are coming from internally and within mm. rather than I'm doing this to shape what I look like yes. externally. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. So they're the, the small steps I'd like that. people to take. That was beautiful. Beautiful answer. I love it. <laughs> So tell people where they can go and interact with you and learn more about what you do. And Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm prolific on Instagram. <laughs> you are. You are. She really is. <laughs> I love stories. Um, you can find me at Live A Well Life or my website is www.liveawelllife.co.uk. Lovely. And I'll put links to both of those places oh, in the show notes so, so people can go and have a chat to you further. So it's been brilliant. I've learned so much. And... It's been great. Thank you for having me, Ellen. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for listening to Create Shift. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to this conversation. I hope you found it useful, inspiring, supportive. I'd love to hear what you thought of it. Find me on Instagram at being underscore change. And if you are enjoying the podcast, remember to subscribe so that you can find out when there is a new episode straight away. Get it straight to your phone or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And I would love it so much if you would leave a rating or a review or both wherever you listen to your podcast if you are enjoying the show. And if you would share it with your friends, family, strangers you meet on the bus, that would be great. It's a huge help and helps other people to find the show. You can find all the show notes at being-change.com where you find links to all the resources mentioned in the episode as well. Thank you very much and I'll see you next time. <laughs>